It has been good to to be here to worship together. I, I always appreciate it, um, even when I felt like it was a longer drive to to get here. I always look forward to being with my brethren. And, of course, we can communicate with brothers and sisters throughout the week and a lot of different um, ways. And, you know, I mean, every day we could do that. But there, there is just something a little bit special with being able to be with your, your, your family, uh, people you really call your, your brethren that you see, uh, see you know, every week, uh, every Sunday, if nothing else. And you can have an accountability towards each other. You, you know, there's a, a shared love and devotion. Um, we're continuing in our theme of the year that we started back in September, which is that we are going to be um, talking about becoming partakers of the divine nature. That's why our reading was from 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11 earlier. I'm not going to reread that because Josh already did. I will uh, read a few of those verses here in a little bit, though. So just to recap, our learning goal is that we are learning life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So basically verse 3, right? And then living goal, obtaining and increasing in the divine nature to be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Um, so it, that's just kind of taken from a lot of the verses. But to me, that's specifically verses um, 8 and 9. Um, well, then 10 and maybe even 11. So um, really, that, that's just kind of what our focus is on this year. So the past few months, at the end of every month, we've been talking about these specific uh, qualities now. Because we started out with, um, if you look in verse number 4, said, uh, verse 5, excuse me. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, Knowledge of self-control, self-control of steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So we're kind of in that section now. We're actually talking about godliness today. Um, we're going to be talking about godliness. So I want to start by just quickly, I guess, defining godliness, although I'm not going to uh, actually try to say or pronounce the Greek word and go through all the etymology with that. Um, Basically, if we're going to talk about godliness, what we're talking about is it, it's broken into two words. And it, if you combine it, it's basically some people would say well worship or well devotion. So the first part is well. So we, we might say good because well makes me think of like a well, like Jesus went to the woman at the well, you know, that kind of thing. But it's good or well or but not good as in like the quality of it. It's just well and good as in uh, in its purity and in its trueness. That kind of devotion to God, that kind of worship to God. Um, it's specific here in Second Peter, meaning like piety, being pious. Um, and it is a, a noun here in Second Peter, um, at least the, the two uses, or I think all three uses in Second Peter of godliness. Are, are a noun version. So it's not necessarily the act of being pious as much as it's just the state of piety towards God, reverence, respect towards God. So that's what we're talking about. Um, you might, another uh, definition or explanation of it that I saw was earnestly paying reverence toward God. That goes against a lot of what I thought godliness was. I thought godliness was just my character being like God, God-likeness. That's what I'd always heard. <laughs> That's what it was. And there are other, other words, you know, other definitions of godliness, other forms that godliness takes in the scripture. But here, 
we don't necessarily just need to think about our character being like God's. I think the difference is the, the focus. The focus of my, my thought or my definition of godliness is on me. The focus of this definition is God and only on God. Now, it's, it's our piety and reverence towards God, but it, the main focus is God as opposed to ourselves. Um, and so I think it's a different direction and focus of the word. So to, to illustrate that, I, I would say that my thought or definition of godliness is pointed down towards me. God's expectations of being godly, right? So it's all on me, on my shoulders. Which, I mean, it, God being godly is on my shoulders, but this form of godliness is actually from within me towards God. Does that make sense? The, the focus and direction of godliness, I think, is different here than maybe it is in other places. Or maybe that just the word uh, has taken on a new meaning in, in our day compared to what it was actually intended to be. Um, I think that what that helps with is when I think of being pious and and honoring and being respectful towards God, then maybe sometimes when I also think of my character being God-like, maybe that doesn't reflect piety. Maybe that doesn't reflect respect and admiration as much as it actually puffs me up a little bit. If I think of godliness as just being about me and my God-like character, I have a tendency to not, uh, not be respectful towards God and be reverent. But, be, but rather be respectful towards myself and revere who I am because I've been coming godlike. I'm godly, right? And that's not the intention of this word at all. So I thought I would just start there. Again, I'm not going to go through the Greek because I don't know Greek. I'm not going to try to say it. I will say there are several different forms of this word that they really do mean the same thing. If you see a word that looks like it's talking about piety or godliness or reverence towards God, it's probably the, from the same word. Um, I think I, I'll try to say the word. I think it's esubia is how you say it. Uh, there's another one that's esubio. Uh, we're going to talk about one of, the tran, one of the verses that has that. It's really the same thing. One's a verb, one's a noun. It's all, it's all really the same thing. So let's go ahead and talk about 2 Peter 2. Uh, second, excuse me, 2 Peter 1 and beginning in verse 2. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Then he says, verse 3, his divine, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. How is life and godliness going to be attain, obtained? Well, it says that his divine power has granted it to us, but it's through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. I think that's interesting because if you look down in verse 6, when we're talking about these characteristics, these traits that we need to add to our faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness. Knowledge is before that, right? Knowledge is also before the godliness and life that we should expect from God. We are only going to get to be godly and, and have this godliness be part of our life when we start with knowledge. And I, I wanted to start there because... I think that's exactly where Peter starts. But then from there, he does say self-control and steadfastness before godliness. So I, I do want to kind of tie those things in. You have to start with godliness. I think that's just, just true. I mean, you have to start with knowledge. I think that's just true. But the connection between self-control and steadfastness and godliness 
is there, I think. By the knowledge of God and by the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we can control ourselves. We know the way in which we are to control ourselves um, in the sight of God. Through that, and through also going back to the knowledge, we can do that in the midst of difficulties and then have a greater devotion towards God. So the way this connects is you have knowledge and then you're able to control yourself even in the difficult times, perseverance, um, perseverance, steadfastness. And you know what that actually allows you to do is be more devoted to God. Godliness. Well, devotion to God. But it all starts, I mean, obviously we could go back to faith and virtue, but really from what I want to say today, I think knowledge is really the key for our godliness because it, it helps us to really know what godliness is. It helps us see God the way we ought to. And it prepares us for the difficult times so that we can actually have a stronger devotion towards God. Really, in the New Testament, a lot of this comes down to worship. Um, that's kind of what godliness really is focused on is worship. But I don't think it's worship is in necessarily always a collective worship as much as it is just our praise and devotion towards God. Now, one way we do that is by worshiping him. We, we just did that. So you could say that we have increased our godliness. We have increased one another's godliness if we have done well in our worship thus far today. So what I want to do, just to kind of set up kind of the, the lesson, I'm not going to necessarily talk a ton about Second Peter until the end. Uh, I just want to talk about how godliness is used. I want to make some observations. Um, it's not a word that's used a ton. This word specifically isn't, at least. But it is used a lot in First Timothy for some reason. It's used in Acts. It's used in First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. Paul has a great deal of admiration towards his word, it seems. But think about who he's actually writing that to. So it's mainly used towards Timothy and Titus, his sons in the faith, right? The people who he kind of took under his wing. I think that's interesting because those are the ones that are supposed to be representing kind of his authority in the local group that they were staying with most of the time. So how are these, what, what is his main focus or, or one of his main focuses setting up the, the church, setting up leadership? How are we supposed to interact? Uh, there's a lot of things towards Timothy and towards Titus that are like, hey, say this to, say this to the young men. Say this to the, to, the, to the women, right? Say this to the, to the older men. Well, why would he be, for, why would he be focusing on godly, godliness so much? I think it's because at the foundation um, of our faith even and kind of how it, how it shows itself towards others, there needs to be godliness. There needs to be a strong devotion and well, and it, and well worship towards God. This isn't just about our character and just showing, hey, I have, um, I've controlled my tongue to whatever degree I can. Or um, I don't have anger and bitterness. Um, so therefore, I'm godlike. I'm godly. So look at me as an example of that. If we're actually going to get people to look at us as an example of anything, it needs to be foundationally devotion to God. That needs to be there. So let's go ahead and, uh, if you will, go to Acts 3. Acts chapter 3. And in Acts 3, uh, we're going to skip down to verse 11. 
So just to set up what's happened, there was a lame man that had been begging, and you have Peter that heals him. Um, it was a, an amazing thing, and um, I don't know, he, he's really thankful. And it says in verse 11, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the porticos called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So nothing is wrong so far, right? This is just thankfulness and word spreading about what Peter and John have been able to do. What does Peter say, though? He says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? That piety is the word godliness that we read in 2 Peter 1. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. I, I don't want to go through all of this, but I want to just to focus on the fact that what Peter wants them to know is stop directing this at me or at us and direct this gratitude towards God. Um, now, he does kind of say, you crucified. You know, he does say some things that might make them think, um, why would I want to be thankful to this God that you said, like, he's blaming me for all this stuff. Well, because of this great thing you saw, this miracle, you need to be pious and respectful towards God. You need to be godly. So they, were, they praise and were about to worship Peter. The man clings to him. Peter makes it clear it was not their own power or piety that this has happened. So there's two different ways that I read this, and I don't know which one is necessarily right. I don't know if the point is that the piety of God, that is, it is by the piety of God that this miracle happened. I don't think that's, that doesn't make much sense to me. Because, I mean, like, if you read how Peter says it, it's not by our own power. Well, it's by the power of God. It's not by our own piety. So therefore, it's by the piety of God. But that doesn't really make much sense. So it's by God's own devotion to himself and respect for himself. Or I, That, that I kind of gets conflicted. That kind of gets confusing to me. But that might be how someone will read it. The way I read it, though, is that it's by his piety and godliness that this thing has happened. Not by his greatness or power or strength. Not by this man's devotion to Peter, but rather by Peter's devotion to God. Go back to verse 1. What were they going to do? Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at the ninth hour. Isn't that interesting? They were going to worship God. And what happens? Someone tries to worship him. Someone tries to worship Peter. And Peter says, no, it's by our worship to God that this thing happened. But they hadn't even gotten to the temple yet. But you don't have to be, he doesn't have to be in the temple to show that he's worshiping God. He's saying that this whole thing happened and this was a devotion to God. This was an example of his worship to God. That's how I read that at least. Let's go over to 1 Timothy. Like I said, 1 Timothy is going to be the, the main place we're going to, to be at. Um, what I'm going to do is... At the end, just kind of wrap up with combining a lot of these things that we're going to talk, a lot of these uses of godliness to maybe help us understand what we need to do. Like, I mean, we can understand the word and we can kind of say, okay, that's a good thing. Now I understand it in the context of Second Peter. But what does that mean? I hope that seeing these examples of how the word is used will help us to see that's what I need to do. And maybe each of us can pick out something very different from the other. I need to work on that or I need to do this aspect of it. So that's kind of the 
I failed to say that a second ago. That's kind of the, the way we're going to go throughout the sermon. We're going to go through these things uh, that we see in 1 Timothy and then 2 Timothy, go back over to 2 Peter, make some application points, and then that'll be it. So 1 Timothy. Let's begin in 1 Timothy 2. Beginning of verse 1, he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Here, it's talking about being prayerful and mindful. Um, specifically, it seems to me that we need to be prayerful and mindful of people. All people, but he does focus on like the kings and leaders, people in high positions. And what's the prayer? I guess there's two parts of the prayer, it seems to me. There's, there's the prayer just for them. But as far as for us, the prayer is that we would lead a peace of, peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, pious, devote, devoted to God, respectful and reverent towards God. What this makes me think of is that no matter where we live, no matter who's in power, we need to be prayerful that our life can still exude godliness. In fact, we should pray for all people that should help us to live this peaceful and um, pious life towards God. That we're, that we're prayerful of other people, all people everywhere, in particular leaders and people in high positions. I don't know if this necessarily is um, as impactful to us as it would be to people in other countries. Uh, I could see this being something very powerful to someone living in um, a Middle Eastern country or living in um, uh, maybe even some African countries. Uh, but specifically, I think of like um, some Asian countries and then Middle Eastern countries. Like, I think that this would be very important to them, that they – be prayerful that no matter who's in power, no matter what's going on, that they could just live a quiet, pious life to God. We, I grew up hearing prayers about um, have unimpeded worship and how you know thankful to God people were, and I didn't really get that because I I just didn't get it. I think I get that more now as I've gotten a little older, and it's not just. The worship service. We need to be thankful to God and prayerful to Him that we would continue to be able to live a well-worshipped, a well-devoted life to God. Whether that's now collectively or while while we're out among people, while we're at work, while we're at school. um, No matter where we go, we need to be prayerful and thankful. And sometimes we need to be prayerful that we are strong enough to, no matter what goes on, above our heads, that being like the high positions and leaders, that we will continue to have that sort of godly uh, character and the godliness that we need to have. Again, I don't know if that's as important for us, or not that it's not as important, but I don't know if that's as difficult for us as it would be some other people. But that needs to be our prayer. That's what he tells them their prayer should be. Let's go over to chapter 3. Chapter 3. I did want to mention at the end of verse 2, I just like the phrase dignified in every way. I think that the, the uh, influence we can have on other people, 
people of the world or people that are religious people that maybe they're really struggling with their faith or something or that they're missing some things from scripture and we can tell that in our conversations. You know how we can really make an impact in their life? Not by presenting something in an effective way always. Not always by having a great convincing argument for them. Not always even by just helping them. That, I mean, those are all good things, but one thing we really can do is be dignified in every way. I don't even know all the ways that that, I don't even know all the things I should change about my life that would, that would make me dignified in every way. But if I work towards that, I, I think that, and maybe you can uh, enlighten me on some of these things later, but I think that would really have an impact on other people. Anyway, uh, going to chapter 3. Let's go down to verse 14. Peter tells Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people that I've spoken to in the past or I've heard um, even just kind of do an expository lesson on this focus mainly on the pillar and buttress of the truth part of this. I think that verse 16 is very interesting. And there's other translations that might say this a little bit differently that might be a little bit better, honestly, in my opinion. But verse 16 in the ESV says, Great indeed we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So he basically, to rework that sentence, there is this great mystery of godliness. And it's amazing, and we're confessing that. We're, we're telling you about it. We're, we're not shy about that. We're proclaiming it. What is the mystery of godliness, though? I mean, how is that something that's mysterious, or something unseen or unknown? Well, I think that the rest of the verse is the key for that. When you read the rest of that verse where he says, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Who's that talking about? It's Jesus. What the mystery of godliness is, is Jesus. And great indeed is Jesus to us who believe in him. But really, what I think he's saying is that if you want to know what godliness is, you look to Jesus. That wasn't always revealed for people. They didn't always know what well-worship and true devotion towards God was until they saw Jesus. And until they saw Jesus, then they got it. That's what godliness looks like. Yes, in his character, we need to be Christ-like. But just in his general devotion to God, that's what we need to be like. Godliness is something that was shown and also given through the plan of God. And he, and he gave it through Jesus. Let's go over to chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, and let's just start in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, God, uh, 
For a lot of the training is of some value, godliness is of a value of a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So here, godliness is seems to me to be set up against two different things. Um, one is false doctrine, but I think that because of what he says in verse six, that um, you've been trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And then if you look at that, uh, verse 7, train yourself for godliness. So it's set up against false teaching. But also at the beginning of verse 7, it's like irreverent, silly myths. You could say that's also false doctrine. But to me, this is like basically saying there's a whole lot of junk out there that's being taught and talked about. And you know what you need to do with that is you need to block it out. You don't need to be involved in those conversations. Um, When we get wrapped up in that, that's a distraction. Rather, we need to train ourselves for godliness. We need to spend time, and, and, and spending time in physical fitness is fine. I enjoy it sometimes. Um, I do it quite often because I need it, but even when I do it, I don't always like it. I don't like the feeling afterwards. It's not like some people are like, I just love the feeling afterwards. No, I don't. <laughs> like, I don't at all. Um, but that's not near as helpful or productive. It's not as valuable as training ourselves for godliness. You can sculpt your body. You can sculpt a lot of other things and train a lot of other things in life. You can spend time on it. But it's not going to be as valuable as godliness. Training ourselves for godliness is of value in every way, verse 8 says. There seems to be some connection to bodily exercise and the act of godliness, though. And I think maybe that's just, if you think about what I said earlier, devotion towards God training ourselves physically as devotion towards something. So this idea of dedication and devotion is really brought out here, I think. We need to be dedicated towards the Word of God and His truth. We need to be dedicated towards blocking out the silly myths and all the junk that people talk about when it comes to talking about spiritual and religious things. Just, just ignore it. Train yourself for godliness. Focus on that. Be devoted to God. Now let's go on to chapter 5. Chapter 5, he has some instructions, and this one will be a little quicker. He has some instructions to various people. Uh, One of those is widows. Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing the sight of God. So it, it seems like this godliness is based on the devotion towards God, but it's directed towards someone other than God here. Because it says, show godliness towards their own household. What he is saying here, it seems to me, is that godliness is taking care of those that are in our care. Specifically here, if you have parents, well, this is widow, so mother or grandmother that that needs to be taken care of, God expects you to do that. (laughs) He expects you to take up uh, that chore, if you will. Um, That is a form of godliness, it seems. Devoting ourselves to others that God expects us to take care of is devotion towards God. That is well worship to God when we do that. Again, I don't know if it's the devotion towards God and that's all it is, or if it's also saying there's some sort of like devotion towards the people um, regardless, it's an expectation from God. And in that, we are showing godliness. 
this does remind me a little bit of Ephesians where he has some instructions towards, we would say it, it applies to us in like the employer-employee relationship. But really it was a slave-master relationship, right? And it also brings up the idea of like children and parents and even within the marriage, like husband and wives. And what is the main focus of all of those things? There's, there's specific things that each person is to do within that relationship, but really you do it what? As to the Lord, right? That's what this reminds me of. Why should I be concerned about caring for someone that is, I mean, whether they're a mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, and we can even broaden that. Anyone that is within my care, why should I really go to the, go to the links that I usually have to to take care of them because it's my devotion towards God that, that makes me do that. Some of you, I think, know that much better than I do. Um, I look at Richard, and I think that he does that in a way that I don't know if I'd be very <laughs> willing to do. And I'm not sure that he necessarily enjoys it all the time, but I think I, think I look to Richard as an example of that, that I know the only reason he does that is because he loves God. And he's trying to be devoted towards God. Um, I look at some of you that, that have to take care of your family members that are sick. And I think, well, it just seems to be the right thing to do. But you know what? Not all family members do that. Uh, and I think it's your devotion towards God that leads you to that. And I think that's, that's an incredible thing. That's, that's a good example for me. Let's go over to chapter 6. Chapter 6 will begin in verse 3. This, again, is kind of bringing up the false teaching aspect of things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspic evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for he brought nothing into the world, and we, can and we cannot take anything out of the world. There's a lot here about, I mean, godliness is mentioned three different times, so obviously there's a lot to discuss here. But I, I wanted to go through this quickly. True doctrine confirms godliness. And we need to support that and only support that. We don't need to entertain or support any sort of thing that is not true doctrine. Even if it makes it feel a little bit more comfortable for us. Even if the, the blow of the truth seems to be lightened a little bit by that, we don't need to do that. Godliness is upholding the true doctrine of God, the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. And only his words and the things that we learn of through him. If we don't do that, we are puffed up. We understand nothing. Uh, if we don't do that, then we might even find ourselves having an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels. I think I've been like that in the past. Um, I like making sound arguments. And I don't, I don't, I'm not a debater, but I think that if I wanted to be, I could be okay at it. Because I enjoy being able to say, boom, gotcha. But you know what? That, taken out of the context of what the truth is, is a terrible thing. That's a scary thing. And I think that's what he's saying here. That's not godly to be like that. I don't think it's godly necessarily to be like that in general. But especially if what you're arguing for or making a point for is not the truth. 
But then he goes on and he says this whole thing about godliness and being great gains. Apparently there were people who were teaching and spreading some doctrine that was not true and they were doing that to, to gain some things. I'm assuming gain things on life, in, in this life, right? Maybe money, maybe status, maybe power, maybe a following, whatever it might be. And what he says is that they are imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Basically saying they're, they're not right about that. They're kidding themselves. You think that godliness is a, is a way to, to gain things? It's not. You know what is a great gain, though? Godliness mixed with being content. When I first read that, I thought it said contentment with a P. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So if I have godliness and I'm con- contemptible, then that's gain. Contentment. Being at peace, not expecting anything from this life, not expecting to gain anything of value in the eyes of people in this world. If I mix godliness with that, that is great gain. And I think that's what he's saying. Let's go on later on in chapter 6. We'll continue reading uh, verse 8. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says we need to pursue godliness. I said earlier that godliness was like was a noun. So it's almost like just a state of being for us. It's just how we are, not necessarily what we do. But it's also something we should pursue. We can go after it. I think this uh, goes back a little bit to the idea of train, train yourself for, God, for godliness. We do this by what we spend our time doing and, what we put our, and where we put ourselves. We need to put ourselves in situations where godliness is the focus, where maybe worship is one situation like that. But really, we just need to set ourselves up to be in environments and in situations where we can pursue godliness. The purpose of what we do is devotion towards God. That we need to be able to say that no matter what we do. Just as a side point, when we do come to worship each other, obviously we're encouraging each other, we're teaching each other, all of those things. But the main focus of what we do is just sharing in our devotion towards God. And we don't need to lose sight of that. It doesn't need to be something we check a box for. It doesn't need to be something that we do um, just because we don't have anywhere else to go. I know that we've had some people that in the past that I wondered if that was the case. And I thought, well, at least they are getting some good teaching. At least they're being influenced. And I wonder, uh, because they're not here anymore, I wonder if maybe what I should have done is gone up and tried to try to really, I don't know, push them to have stronger devotion towards God. Because that's why they should have been here in the first place. So those are pretty much all of the instances in First Timothy of godliness. There's one in 2 Timothy I want to go to, and this will be really the, the last one we look at before we go over to 2 Peter again. 2 Timothy 3. I want to read verses 1 through 5. 
But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. What is the power of godliness? That's different than saying what is the power of God. We, we would be able to answer that pretty easily. What is the power of godliness? I think the power of godliness is that all those things we just read that in the last days um, people will be this way, that we won't be like that at all. I think the power of godliness is that we'll be like God. Um, and I don't know if I always thought of that as being a power as much as I thought of that as being just an, um, something I aspire to or something that is difficult to do. There's power behind that. The thing that we show to all people is that we respect God and we're devoted to him and him alone. That's an admirable thing to gain. If what we exude to others is devotion to God, that is power. I think that's power because no matter what happens in our life, no matter what's going on, all the difficulties and turmoil that we find ourselves in, we still have that devotion towards God. Remember, we can persevere. Um, that's what we talked about last month. In a way where people seem to be so out of control and like they, they just are, they respond to things just off a whim and all of that. Well, we're self-controlled. We're devoted to God. We talked about that two months ago. In a way where people are sitting there wondering, in a time where people are sitting there wondering, like, what is true and what should I do and what is life all about? Well, we know what life is all about because we have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That was three months ago that we talked about that. And when people just seem to be wrecked because um, they don't know what the point of life is anymore, we know that we look for something else, right? We know that we are longing for something else, and that's what pretty much the end of, of second, our text in Second Peter is talking about, where there's a coming of Jesus Christ that we're looking forward to. There's great power in godliness, but these people in that, uh, that Paul is writing to Timothy about, they have an appearance of godliness, even though they're all these terrible things, even though they don't love good, even though they're brutal, ungrateful, unholy, treacherous people. They have an appearance of godliness, and I wonder how that is. And then I think about my life at times, and I think, well, yeah, I get that. <laughs> because to others, to, to some, to a few even, maybe I appear godly. Maybe I appear like I have this devotion to God. But really, I'm not. Because other people would say, he's evil. <laughs> um, other people might say, I've seen a character in him that he, he loves money. I've seen something in him that he's such an arrogant person. I've seen something in him that he can't control what he says. He can't control what he does. His anger is out of control. I've seen something in him that says that he loves pleasure rather than loving God. But I can have an appearance of godliness while I have all those things. And that's scary to me. What that, means, what that says to me is that I need to really check myself. And I would encourage you to do the same. We need, we need to check ourselves. 
Do we just have an appearance of godliness or are we truly devoted to God? Do we truly um, have this, this thing within us that we desire and pursue godliness? We need to understand that there is great power if we actually pursue that. The power that we think we gain through these other things is nothing compared to the power of godliness. So just to kind of wrap up, if you want to go ahead and go to 2 Peter, we'll read a few verses there in just a second. Just to kind of combine all these things, and I'm going to read it because I don't want to butcher it. Godliness must be present even in this present age, no matter, no matter the people around us or the leaders above us. Godliness is a mystery that we can understand because Jesus has been revealed. It is dedication, dedication to godliness even with a bunch of drama and junk and false teaching around us, is helpful and good in all things and is much better than physical training. I typed much, much better, and I thought, I don't even know if that's right to say much better. It just sounds right to me, though. It's much better than training ourselves for anything. Godliness is an amazing thing that can be gained, but doesn't mean we will have great gain in this life. Godliness accompanied with contentment is great gain. Put yourself in situations to exhibit godliness and make good use of those times. And godliness is something shown even by many false teachers. But they deny its power. So godliness is a powerful thing if we pursue true godliness. Let's go to 2 Peter 2. With the line of thinking being about the false teachers and having the appearance of godliness but it not being true... I also think that there's a temptation for some of us that maybe because of the, the influence of people around us, we have an appearance of godliness and then, uh, or we, maybe we are truly pursuing godliness and then we kind of falter, we go back. The end of Second Peter 2 is what that's talking about. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse than worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. That could be us. When it comes to being godly it's not just the character in the moment it's not just things i'm trying to add to me to just be a more well-rounded christian godliness if if that is what i want to be and that's what i want to show is true devotion to god and i and you don't go back on that if you do decide to go back on that then this is what it looks like this is what it looks like if someone appears to be godly but they've gone back to their old life it's like a dog going back to their vomit. And that's disgusting and doesn't make any sense to me. And yet I look at my life and I think that's exactly what that would look like. It would be disgusting and would make no sense to God why I would do that. The last verse I want to read is in chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The, there's two things that, don't, that are not dissolved, that don't burn, burn up, that are going to be consistent. Holiness and godliness are the only things listed there. All the other things that he lists there in those verses are going to be dissolved, burnt up. They're going to be gone. Um, have you ever held some like, not, not if they're fresh ashes, but have you ever just kind of picked up some ashes from like a fire and seen how frail those things are? That's everything around us. The one thing that has some substance and true value is holiness and godliness towards God. And what he says is that if that's us, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I think that this whole lesson, this kind of going through these things, one of the ways it's been of great help to me is it's caused me to take a look at my life to see if I actually will be considered not just a godly man, but to have godliness. But also I think that it helps me to appreciate what I look forward to. Because as much as, like I said at the beginning, as much as I look forward to being with you all, there's times where I get tired and there's times where I want to go to bed. There's times where there's a game on and I'm a little distracted. But you know what? There will come a day, I don't know when it's going to happen, where the only thing that is going to be around, the only thing that's going to be in existence is a place where righteousness dwells. And in that place, there will be true devotion to God. There will be well worship to God. We'll be, we'll be surrounded by godliness. And that's not that's no surprise because that's where God will dwell, right? Um, I hope those things have been helpful to you. If nothing else, maybe you learned a little bit more about what the word godliness means and some of the uses specifically in 1 Timothy. But I hope that also we can take some of these things and apply them to our life. We've been trying to apply certain things to our faith, right? Add to our faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness, perseverance, and then now godliness. Um, So hopefully this will help us as we continue to learn about these qualities. And hopefully these things will help us to be ready for him when he comes back. Um, If you need prayers, if you need help, if you need Uh, further understanding of anything, you need to confess sins, whatever it might be. Um, We're here for you. We'll pray with you and pray for you. Um, Why don't you make that known as we stand and as we sing.